This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. citizens welcome to the fortress of potitude i'm dave michaels i'm brian betts and we are the caped podcast for the universe i love it this movie slapping the bass oh for sure it's slapping the bass it's definitely slapping the bass slapping the bass i have to imagine like queen they're like oh bring in the whole gang but only the bass player was available some days like ah good enough that's all we need boom 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 it's just building tension. I love Queen. And I you would think Queen. I know who the bass player is. You would think. And I don't. That's on me. I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we are doing our last episode of 2020, the actual physical embodiment of a butthole of a year. <laughs> We've made it this far. <laughs> Damn it. We're going out with a bang because we are talking about 1980s Flash fucking Gordon. Ah! Yeah, it's uh, I can't I can't even tell you begin to tell you how excited I am. Yeah, this is one that uh, I didn't know about really until 24 hours ago when I first watched it, and I've been smiling ever since. <laughs> this is on like a Toxic Avenger level of joy that I'm experiencing wow. right now. Yeah, that high. It is that high. Okay, this one came to us courtesy of Michael Carlstrom. Thank you, Michael, for this one. He said, "Hey, 40th anniversary, Queen." do it and we said yes stop yelling but yeah we'll do it (laughs) (laughs) thank you michael this was a hell of a request it's a great pick have you ever seen this before no of course not what were your expectations going in i'd heard a lot about it and i'd seen posters of the villain emperor ming the merciless of course and uh that was the only thing i really knew about it was that vibe and also the way sam j jones is is treated in the ted movie that's pretty fair that is all i had to go on all right I always forget that he's in Ted. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing. It is a thing. I try to forget. Oh, Ted 1's all right. Ted, yeah, Ted's fine. Ted 2. I never saw Ted 2. We, you don't need to. Good job not cool. seeing Ted 2. I'm I did it. Proud of you. Proud of me, too. And what did you think of it after watching it? It's a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot. It's more than a lot. There's emotions that I still haven't figured out what they mean. <laughs> okay. Think I felt new things. Really? Yeah. I That's what this film did to you. I don't, I don't know. You can't put into words what Flash Gordon has done to you. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. That's putting it lightly. And that is <laughs> that that is where my praise is directed right now. Okay. It's the fun. All right. What did you think of it? I mean, I loved it. I loved every second of this movie. And it's wild because I usually take a ton of notes and I took a whole, only one page. Like yeah. that's nothing for that, me to that take. That is nothing for you. And I'm in like this weird mix of feelings of I'm so happy that I saw this thing, and now it's like a part of my life. That's where I am. And 
I'm also so angry that it took me 32 years to make this part of my life. One of those things that I wish I knew well before how fucking fun this was. Yeah, that I, I agree with really that. dive into the fandom even more. And I've been reading nothing but Flash Gordon stuff now for like a full day, which is nothing. I get it. But <laughs> like deep diving into this stuff. And I didn't realize production wise how much is going on here. It's There's insane. A lot. Yeah, this movie seems like it might have been a nightmare to film. That's putting it real, real lightly. But what came out on the other end. It was something. Is a movie. It really is. Let's get into this thing. There's a lot, but also not a lot. There but is also a lot. So much that I kind of had to condense it down, and we'll see. We'll see what we pull out of it. You are the only one condensing anything down when it comes to Flash Gordon. For then. sure. Somebody had to. It's about time. It only took forty years. Someone to say, "Hey, hey, scale down." Can, can we abridge this somehow? <laughs> we begin as we always do with the disembodied voice of a nefarious being who intends to play with Earth before he destroys it. It happens all the time. It's really just a trope that is, it's getting old now, in my mind, 40 years later, every movie. This bad guy didn't even know the name of Earth, but he does have a button that causes earthquakes. (laughs) I love that detail so so much. He's got like this keyboard in front of him. It's like, oh, a tornado, oh, a typhoon, oh, an earthquake. What is that? It's Earth. Hurricanes and something called hot hail. Right. Which coincidentally is the name of a Buster Bluth calendar that nobody asked for. (laughs) I was more thinking like hot hail. Oh, Kate Bishop. Got it. Yep. Yep. That works. Have you seen the set photos? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty damn excited for Hawkeye to come out. I'm very excited. In a year from now. Yeah. After that scene, we get, as we never do, a full on queen laser show opening credit sequence with comic book renditions of every character. Yeah. First of all, queen. Queen. Queen dun, 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 did dun, the music dun, 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 dun. for a feature film. Yeah. Yes, please. Absolutely. I'll sign up for that sign any day of the week. <laughs> I have never been more interested in credits. I've like I couldn't I stop completely watching. agree. It was incredible I was to like, see. I need to see every second of this. How did you just make the opening credits an experience? On Earth, New York Jets quarterback Flash Gordon, <laughs> played by Sam J. Jones, boards a small airplane. We got two things to talk about here. Yeah. Number one is Sam J. Jones. Yes. Who? 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 <laughs> this is his third role he's ever gotten. Yeah. He got the job because Dino De Laurentiis is the producer on this thing. Yes. Extremely famous producer. Uh, really made his name in Italy, working with all the big names over there, including like Fellini, where he did La Strada, he did Nights right. in Cabiria. He's a huge name producer. He moves over to Hollywood to start doing stuff. He does like Serpico. Right. At that point, he did the remake of King Kong. And now he's doing this. Was it his mother? Who I was think watching, it was his mother, yeah. Or was his mother-in-law? Either way, a mother figure in his life was watching a, like a dating game show yeah. or whatever it was and saw Sam Jones and said, that's your Flash Gordon. And you want to know what? That checks out. Yeah, that, that's 100% <laughs> where I would expect for this man to be discovered. Yes. And realistically, Sam Jones said, I got the job just because... I mean, I'm, I'm athletic, and they made me blonde, and I can I have no problem taking my clothes off because he was a Playgirl centerfold at one point. Oh wow, I yeah. did not know that. That I didn't come across that one in my in my research. Yeah, so thank you. You're you're welcome. Sam Jones gets this job. He comes on to set, and we'll get there because <laughs> that's where the adventure really starts. Yeah, yeah. We have <laughs> we barely even touched on the adventure of, of Sam Jones. Right. This is a no-name person. They call in everything I've read they're like novice actor Sam Jones. <laughs> <laughs> like that's not what you want. <laughs> Cuz even when you think about it, 
Jake Lloyd, they say actor Jake Lloyd or whatever, like that's insulting. Yeah. When you think about it, novice actor might be more insulting. That's definitely more insulting. Second thing I want to talk about. Sam Jones is sitting on this runway of this airport, just reading a newspaper yep. until the car next to him pulls up. And it's Dale, Dale Arden. Yes. The woman of this movie. Played by Melody Anderson. Exactly. And then he follows her onto the plane where they're the only two passengers. Right. So w- what is he waiting for? What was he waiting sitting for? Sitting here. And then I think the bigger issue of all this is when he gets on the plane, he's got a New York Jets duffel bag that he puts on it. And the only thing I wrote before knowing anything about this movie was that plane's going down. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. That's amazing. It's like these filmmakers knew. It's they had a good tongue-in-cheek sense of humor. <laughs> it's dark. It is dark. I love it. Nothing says camp like the New York Jets. <laughs> <laughs> I looked for Flash Gordon jerseys right after this. Of course. Wore number 19 on the Jets. Oh. Fictitiously. Fictitiously. Yes. <laughs> Dale is terrified of flying, and when they hit some turbulence, she starts really freaking out, which is how you know. People fall in love. It is. It's a real interesting way to flirt. It is. It's like you get the danger horny. Yeah. That's a thing, right? Oh, absolutely. Danger horny. (laughs) Because regular horny. Getting scared sexy. There it is. I like that way better than whatever I was going to end that sentence with, which I still don't know what it would have been. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Mid-flight, the cockpit is hit by a meteorite, and the pilots are sucked out. That's a problem. That's usually, usually not good. But I also like how we see different things on Earth of like these meteorites falling to Earth, yeah. these random quick hailstorms and stuff. It's like, you know, there's a man up there pushing buttons. He's hitting it's buttons fun. In, his, in his UFO. Right. I guess for him, it's just an FO. <laughs> so Flash, you know. That's the dumbest joke you could have told. It was absolutely <laughs> awful. I know. It fits perfectly. Flash takes control of the plane, as you do. He's taking flying lessons, as he says. How convenient. How about that? And he manages to crash land the plane into a greenhouse owned by Dr. Hans Zarkov, played by Topol. Uh, now, this is going to be a, a challenge for you. Yeah. You forgot a middle name. How are you going to do this? Heim fucking Topol. You're going to throw the real first name in yeah, there. Yeah, how about that? They're going to go toe fucking pull. Yeah, well, it could have done that, but you issued a challenge, you're, you're right. and I was more than prepared for He's it. He's the fiddler. He got down from the roof. He is. He's off the roof. Thank goodness, because he was on the roof when the plane crashed into it. I don't know why when I said that, my first thought was Mallrats. The fiddler's on the roof again. <laughs> That's a good joke. That would be a weird way to do that, is if you had like those types of remakes or Kevin Smith movies. <laughs> right? Oh, man. <laughs> I can imagine like the opening to Clerks. Oi, Vey, you're going to be late. <laughs> oh, oh! You went the opposite way of what I was gonna. I was, I was thinking you just have Kevin Smith remake Fiddler on the Roof and other movies like that with Jay and Silent Bob in the View Askew universe. Better movie, yeah. Well, it's a different movie. Yeah, I was gonna say better movie <laughs> than what? Better movie than some of the movies that Kevin Smith has made, or better than Fiddler on the Roof? Because I'm gonna agree with one of those. We're not gonna find out which one. Unfortunately, nope, we're gonna leave it a mystery. That's right. Zarkov, who believes the disasters are being caused by an unknown source in space, because he's, he's pretty smart. He is a pretty smart guy. And he believes that the moon is now being pushed into Earth, and that's what these meteorites Pulled, are coming I would from. Say. Pulled? If it's coming into something, I mean, something on the other side pushing there, it? There is something on the other side pushing it, with a with a, a beam. That would be push, wouldn't it? It's pushing. All right. You're right. It's okay, Dave. The, the sign on the door said pull, but on the other side it said push. It gets me every time. Yeah. Zarkov has secretly constructed a rocket ship that he intends to use to investigate what's happening. 
As you do. So his assistant, Munson, refuses to help him. Naturally, when your assistant says, no, I'm not going in your your shoddy back room rocket ship, (laughs) you pull a gun on him. You do. We should also say, his assistant? It's William fucking Hootkins. It is William fucking Hootkins. Eckhart from the Batman films. Also, Porkins from Star Wars. Yeah. And we'll get there. (laughs) We absolutely are going to get there. We should get there now. Let's get there now. Why not? We should get there now. I don't want to leave this one hanging. George Lucas very famously went to Dino De Laurentiis and said, I want to make Flash Gordon. Yeah. He's been obsessed with Flash Gordon since he was a kid. It's kind of what got him into the whole sci-fi genre. Dino De Laurentiis said, absolutely not. George Lucas like, I just made American Graffiti. And he's like, I don't give a shit. (laughs) So he sent him on his way and George Lucas said, I'm going to make my own Flash Gordon type thing. And that's where Star Wars comes out. After Star Wars comes out, Dino De Laurentiis goes, a fuck. <laughs> so now he knows he has the rights to Flash Gordon. He's like, I got to put this thing on the screen pretty damn fast. We got to really cash in on this. Yeah. And I'd have to imagine that as he's making this movie, he goes, get me the best thing from Star Wars. And they're like, well, it's going to be Jack Porkins, right? It's got to be. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of crew that overlap, too. There's a lot of crew that overlap because of studios. Yeah. That's mostly why. But. That to me is wild. This is once again another thing that directly comes out of Star Wars. Three years later, too, it came out. So it's crazy because yeah. it directly created Star Wars, and then directly after was like, "We gotta, we gotta jump on that Star exactly. Wars wagon." It's wild. <laughs> Zarkov needs two people to control the ship. So with Munson running off, he's actually very lucky that this plane has crashed into his greenhouse. He is very lucky. So he lures Flash and Dale inside the rocket, telling them that's where the phone is. I like that gag a lot. Because I go in, they're like, where's the phone? (laughs) It's like, you're in a rocket ship. Yeah. You saw this from the outside. That's true. How do they not know they're in a rocket ship? Maybe this is just an eccentric guy who's got a rocket ship-shaped phone room. Maybe. (laughs) Phone room? Not a thing. Totally different than phone booth. It's a sequel. Right. Phone room. Phone room. I think if more scientists threaten people with guns, we'd get more experiments done. I think you're right. I'm just saying. We could have had a vaccine much earlier, Yeah, really, when you think about it. Just arm our scientists. Right. <laughs> I don't know if that's controversial or not. I don't know. It feels like it could be, but for who? Who's that's a good point. Other scientists, maybe? Maybe. That's, that's what it is here. It's science on science discrimination. Science on science crime. <laughs> it's very important. They don't talk about it enough. Zarkov only intends to bring Dale with him. For reasons. So he's he's shooing Flash off the plane, off the rocket with his gun. And Flash is like, all right, I'm just going to go. And then he <laughs> he reaches for the gun, like a sneak attack. And during this struggle with Zarkov, he pushes him headfirst into the launch button. It's only a single button? Come on. <laughs> now, when you said that Flash did this fakey fake yeah. on Zarkov, I think that it needs to be understood that any time we say anything that Sam Jones, Flash Gordon does, yes. it needs to have just... An undertone of acting. Correct. He needs to sit in that spot. Yeah, just he's... imagine that all the time. Every time. Whenever Flash does a thing. Acting. That's how he does it. Well, that's how someone does it. That's how he physically does it. Right. But we'll get there. There's so much to this There's story. It's a ridiculous. <laughs> the rocket launches into orbit. Everyone falls asleep, and they're taken through a vortex to the planet Mongo. Do they just fall asleep or did like I, the G's knock them out or whatever? It's either the G's or the, the atmospheric pressure or something something knocks them out. All right. They all buckle in as they're falling asleep. Yeah. It's very convenient timing. It is. 
And then they're taken through a vortex of the planet Mongo, where they are taken prisoner. Instantly. Immediately upon arrival. Flash, Dale, and Zarkov are brought to the palace before Emperor Ming the Merciless. Max von Sito. That deserves more middle names than you gave it. Max fucking von fucking Sito. There it is. Oh my god. Let's talk about the palace really quickly. Can we? Because we've started this movie off pretty closed in. You don't really see a whole lot. The Earth world is pretty damn boring. And then we get to Mongo. The set and the costumes and the colors. Everything is nuts. It is ridiculous how it looks. There's so much like detail on everything. Yeah. But at the same time, everything's apparently cheaply made. But everything pops. Almost too many things pop because you don't know where to look. It's so overwhelming in <laughs> probably the best possible way. Yeah. This movie should be talked about more for how amazing it looks. I agree. More people need to say, hey, look at Flash. Look at Mongo. Would you look at it? <laughs> Would you look at it? <laughs> There's all sorts of fun groups of people slash subjects slash prisoners. Yep. There's hawkmen and lizard people and some kind of Robin Hood tree dwelling people. And right. Lots and lots of little people. And there are actors, proper actors leading two of the three that you just named. Yes, That's there something. are. We will get there. We will. I'm so excited. It's all very 80s, too. It's insanely 80s. It's like the most 80s thing I've ever seen. What about that 80s show that lasted like six episodes or whatever? Yeah, they were just trying to capture With, that flash wasn't Gordon that Dennis? magic. <laughs> From uh, It's Always Sunny was the lead in that? Was it? Yeah, I think so. I didn't realize it was him. Yeah. I might have to rewatch it now. No. no Their I'm, big I'm, joke was just having a big phone, I'm pretty sure. Ha. I'm not kidding when I uh, say that. That's also very 80s. It is very 80s. Did they keep it in a rocket? Well, it's not that 80s. Oh, okay. It is, was that 80s show, but it's not, you know what I mean. Right. Not this 80s show. Exactly. It's that 80s what? show. What are we saying? Wordplay. We try it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Ming asks the different groups for offerings, and Prince Thune of Ardentia, played by George fucking Harris. You might know him from such films as the, the Harry Potter series, Kingsley Shacklebolt. Yeah. Or he played Katanga in Raiders of the Lost Ark. That he did. Yeah. He says he can only offer his loyalty. It's like it's been a rough <laughs> year. You know. 2020. 2020. I get it. If I was to offer anybody right now, I'd be like, I'll stick up for you, I guess. Yeah. It's, hey, it's, I can offer you my undying loyalty. Right? If my word's not good enough, then I don't know what is. Oh, Ming will tell you what's good enough. You're right. I'm going to test your loyalty. Fall on your sword. That's badass. That is very badass. And Thune's like- uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Fall on your sword. So he goes, he pretends he's going to do it, and he turns the sword around like he's going to attack Ming, who freezes him with his fancy magic ring. Yeah. And then stabs him. That's right. And he's got blue blood. He's got blue blood. So that's how you know we're, alien- we're dealing with aliens. Yeah, or Tom Selleck. Ha, <laughs> blue bloods. I see the thing that you did. It was lazy. It was. But it was there. It was right there. <laughs> I feel like this would be the episode to drop all the awful jokes that Just we possibly the can. the lowest hanging fruit we can we can reach. I feel like that's what this movie both wants and deserves. Yeah, I agree with that. Flash is like, this dude is crazy. And then a drone tells on him. <laughs> Tattle drone. I get it. I just love it. The, the drone's like, this dude is crazy. Who said that? It was Flash. <laughs> <laughs> so Flash, Dale, and Zarkov are brought before Ming. And he uses his ring to, I don't know, put Dale in some kind of horny trance. She gets real horny real fast. Dave, I have an actual IMDb trivia fact for you. I'm curious, actually. I'm more than angry. 
According to the original storyline, when Dale is entranced by Ming's hypnotic ring, she's having a vision of being on an erotic picnic with Ming in a 1920s setting. A what? An erotic picnic. No, I got that. In a 1920s setting. All right, so... What, have you not two, ever... Two questions about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One is what? I already established that. Number two is, you think they used animal crackers? I feel like that is the most erotic thing you can do on a picnic. I think it is, too. Yeah. Michael Bay told me so. The question is... In Armageddon. Was Dale's dad there singing to them? Because uh, that's what makes it super yeah. erotic. yeah. That's Only a, the most erotic picnics have Steven Tyler in the corner singing yeah, to his daughter. That's what makes it go from a stream to a river, really. <laughs> Splash. <laughs> that's an 80s thing. <laughs> Ming orders Dale to be prepared for his pleasure, which, um, <laughs> all right, movie. <laughs> Is that really what you want to do, movie? Okay. <laughs> Flash attempts to resist, so he's attacked by Ming's bodyguards. So he does football about it. That's right. He grabs an egg of sorts, some kind of egg, and then he just kind of Heisman's his way <laughs> through these guys yeah. fighting. And everyone's like, "Oh, go, go, go!" Especially fucking what's her face here, uh, Dale. I have trouble calling her Dale. Dale is such a, a dude name. Yeah, like like what am I going to call her, Earnhardt? What is this? <laughs> Not even that. I was thinking Dale from King of the Dribble. Hill. Dribble. Yeah. <laughs> you go there, Flash. You go. <laughs> oh, my God. You knock out those Mongos for America. Does that, that got away. Does that make Zarkov Boomhauer? <laughs> I'm talking about dang old science. Get on. You got to slow down when you're talking to me. <laughs> I don't even know who that would be. That would be, we'll get there. It's Brian Blessed, but we'll get there. <laughs> we will get there. <laughs> but because he plays for the Jets, eventually he's overpowered. It doesn't take long. I realistically think that he got like sacked for like 30, a cool 30. Zarkov throws an egg at him and it hits him it in hits the head. Him dead on, right? In the dome. Just, but I love here, I'm going to introduce him. Brian Blessed. He's the leader of the Hawkmen. Yes. He plays Prince Volton. And I absolutely adore Bar- Brian Blessed. Especially like in Black Adder. Yeah. With Rowan Atkinson. He plays the same role constantly. Okay. He's possibly the most fun person ever to watch in anything. He's having a blast in this movie. That's just his gag, though. That's like his shtick that he does. He's got that insanely booming voice. Yeah. He might be able to open his mouth as big as a fucking snake. (laughs) The way he like laughs and stuff. Yeah. I love whenever Flash is like knocking these guys over football style. Whenever someone gets close to him, he like hits him on the head and he's like... Yeah, like, I didn't do it. <laughs> Just bonking him on the head with his staff. It's so good. It's great. He's so good. He's amazing. He is. Ming orders Zarkov to be reconditioned, whatever that means, and <laughs> Flash executed by lethal gas. Yeah, not great. Not what you want. Ming's daughter, Princess Aura, played by Ornella Moody, she has the hots for Flash after seeing him from across the room. So she manipulates Ming's chief surgeon into helping her save Flash by having him injected with an immunity serum. Yeah. As you do. As you do. Flash! Ah, hot from a distance. Then she goes to his coffin and revives him with another shot. And she's like, all right, we got to get out of here. And he's like, wait, what is happening? <laughs> what is happening I right was now? dead. First she's of all, like, why am I naked? And you can clearly see my donger. Clearly. You, I did not. Yeah, it oh. is prevalent. My version was very HD. Okay. Too HD. Mine was pretty HD, but I wasn't you looking in the Donger see region. outline of Donger. Well, her hand gets awfully damn close to it. And I'm instantly going- Oh, you're right. Are you going to do it, movie? Are you going to do it? It's not below you to do it. 
there were several times in this movie where I had to recheck what the rating was to make sure it wasn't going to go there. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> PG still? Okay, yeah. Oh, right. Also, there's a mirror in this coffin on the ceiling of it. Yeah. That's weird. That That is a weird thing. In case you wake up in your, in your tomb, <laughs> you can watch yourself die. That's right. Or this movie's so sexy that yeah. they put a mirror on all the ceilings. Mirror on every ceiling. I don't know. It's it was sexy, weird. Sexy time, what a weird the 80s. choice. And then they made it work because she's like, put on these clothes. I'm not going to watch. And she looks at the, the coffin ceiling there. Yeah. It's like, okay, this is weird. It is weird. It's a horny scene. It's really, really horny. It's going to get hornier. It absolutely is. <laughs> or at least Princess Aura is. Right. Briefly. Zarkov is seemingly brainwashed by Clytus, who's played by Peter Wingard. Peter fucking Wingard. Yes, the whole time. He's wearing this like golden Doctor Doom mask. Yeah. So you can't see his face. And for a very long time watching this movie, I was like, is that Jeremy Irons? I can't tell if it's Jeremy Irons because Peter Wingard and Jeremy Irons have very similar voices. They do. And Peter Wingard looked as like a sex symbol during this time, too. Why are they covering his face then? And that was kind of the weird part about it. So and here we are. sexy movie. Yeah. You're covering a sex symbol's face? Yeah. Guess they're like, we don't even need you. It's too much sex. Watch how Peter. sexy we're gonna be. You Throw know, this weird mask on. <laughs> if they didn't have a mask on him, they would have had to go PG thirteen. That's right. <laughs> he is the general and right hand man to Emperor Ming, and now he has brainwashed Zarkov. He looks like one of the bad guys in like three hundred. Yeah, with those goofy masks. They're like they're unkillable, and then they just instantly die. And then they die. Yeah, right. Because that movie sucks a lot of things. <laughs> we did not have a donger. favorable. That's what it was. Donger. Yeah. Okay. When we reviewed that one, we didn't have a good time with it. Does not hold up. Yeah, I agree. And we don't like coming in too hard on things. No. But that's in the past now. We did. Meanwhile, Ara and Flash flee in a shuttle to Arborea, the kingdom (laughs) of Prince Baron, Timothy fucking Dalton. Yeah, he's in here too. This movie is stacked. It really is. He did this for a paycheck. And then the lead is Sam Jones. Yeah. (laughs) Why? I don't know. Granted- Timothy fucking Dalton, at this point, is, I think, like, seven, eight years away from being James Bond. Yeah. He is not close. No. And I can't imagine this role helped him. It might have told him what not to do. Fair. That's very fair. However, he is actually extremely good in this. I like him quite a bit. Yeah. And we're going to talk about James Bond a little later again. There's a lot of people in this movie overacting, and he is not one of them. No. If you want to see overacting... Give a listen in a couple weeks with Hot Fuzz, and (laughs) it's a chef's kiss of overacting from Timothy fucking Dolan. Absolutely. Prince Baron is Aura's lover, and uh, they're they're going to his planet (laughs) for reasons. Aura's lover. That's true, including the guy that revived Flash with the serum. That's correct. I didn't put that one together. Yeah. I'm not sure if there's a type of thing as a space hoe, (laughs) but- here we are. Here we are. Yeah, she's um, she's been around the galaxy a couple times. She has. The one thing I will give her, and I can't even confirm this, I just know what we have on screen, she never kissed her brother. We do not even know she has one. Right. So, as far as we know. Flash Gordon there, plus one. There you on go. Star Wars. Good on you. <laughs> Got a one leg up. She probably does. Yeah, she to probably. every character in this movie. Has a leg up. Oh, yeah. I get it. It's a sex joke. It is a sex joke. Neat. Is it? Nope. (laughs) On the way to Arborea, Aura reluctantly stops making out with Flash long enough to teach him to use a telepathic communicator so he can contact Dale. I like how she's making out with him and he's just like, no, I'm not interested. 
The whole time. The whole time. And then she's like sitting on his lap. Please stop. It doesn't make any sense, any of this. And it gets worse. It does. Flash uses the telepathic communicator thing to contact Dale and let her know that he's still alive and that Aura is making him horny. It's wild because he's talking to Dale. Dale's answering back. And he goes, wow, I'm really getting turned on right now. That's a direct (laughs) quote from this movie. the actual line. (laughs) And she's like, what? (laughs) He's like, oh, no, it's not from you. (laughs) It's like, this is so weird. You're making it worse. I wish I wasn't quoting this movie right now, but I am. Yeah. Dale lets Flash know that she's locked in Ming's bedchamber. Yep. You know, she's like, I'm not horny. You are, but I'm not. Oh, dear. (laughs) But encouraged by the fact that he's still alive, she makes a daring escape by swapping places with a female servant. Right. And by drinking the the bad stuff. The forbidden juice. That's what it's called. And it's wild because she understands the danger that she's in here. And she even says, like, is it going to make me forget? And what the lady says back is, no, but it will make you not mind remembering. And that's a problem. That is very like a much one? a problem. <laughs> what kind of no? That's no, no. That's <laughs> there's no way to spin that into something okay. It's pretty much like legal roofing. Yeah, but that, that's... also not. It's like not even illegal roofing. It's like moral roofing. Two words together that don't you even make sense. It, not, well, on Mongo, it does. On Mongo, you won't mind remembering. Right. Like, you could just deal with yourself after. Hey, no problem. drink this stuff, and you'll want to fuck Ming. <laughs> no, you won't. You just won't mind it. Right. Oh, you just won't be upset you about it You won't have a afterwards. shame shower when you're done with it. Oh. Yeah. That's dirty. It's a problem. I don't like it. No. <laughs> this movie's great. Don't forget it. Right. But. Right. But. This whole area in this movie is a little problematic. A little bit. Clytus dispatches Zarkov to intercept Dale after she escapes and starts killing off these guards. Right. Now that Zarkov's had his memory erased, we get to see kind of this visions that he he has of his past about how someone died in a swimming pool. I don't know what that was about. (laughs) Yeah. And then we got to see him get all of his memories erased until the point that he was an actual fetus, which was weird. It was very strange. He has vivid memories. Of him being born. Yeah. That are now gone. Now he he's like the rest of us, I guess now. I guess so. It's very strange. Yeah. So Zarkov heads out to intercept Dale, who he finds, and she's like, hey, Flash is alive. And he's like, oh, good. I have all my memories still. I resisted the brainwashing by thinking about Shakespeare, Einstein, and the Beatles. So basically the last five minutes of the movie did not matter. Nope. Perfect. <laughs> I love it so much. And because... Clytus thinks that Zarkov is under his control. He's like, you know, let her take him off planet and we'll see where they go so we can get Flash. So right. she says he's alive. The direct quote in this is, Topol's not really a threat until he gets on a roof. <laughs> it's true. I wish that were a lie to this movie. <laughs> oh, fuck, he's got the fiddle. Everybody down. <laughs> uh, just trying to start a new tradition. Tradition. <laughs> After they flee the city, Dale and Zarkov are captured by Prince Vulcan's Hawkmen and taken to his kingdom, Sky City. Very clever name. Very clever name. Sky City. What You're is right. it? It's a castle on rockets. That's it. <laughs> oh, you kind of like Cloud City. Oh my God, you're right. Did this inspire? No. no. I looked it up. Empire Strikes Back came out in June of 1980, and this came out in December. 
1980. Okay. But, I mean, for all the production stuff that went on in this thing, there's no way yeah. they knew. There's no way. That's a lot of cities in the sky. There was a lot of crew in the sky. You're probably right. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know now. That's that's weird. Interesting. Maybe the source material. Oh, Sky City would have been in the source material for Flash, right? In the comics. And George Lucas loves those comics. He does love it. So maybe it is actually inspired. I'd have to imagine Flash did it first, though. Yeah. Because this is very loyal to the comics. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. It is crazy. Is Aura this horny in the comics? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a lot like leaving a newspaper out in the rain. That's how those comics <laughs> came. Ew. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Aura. Dad, I'm trying to read the funnies. The ink's running. Why? Put that down, Timmy. Ugh, you're not Ugh. old enough for this smut. <laughs> I'm reading about a spaceman, though. Timmy! <laughs> <laughs> That's why fathers didn't have to have a talk about birds and the bees back in the day, in the 1930s and 40s, because they had Flash Gordon. Did the series go that back that far? Oh, yeah. Okay. Started in the 30s. I didn't realize it was that old. Yeah, they say he is like the father of the superhero comic and the superhero in general. Okay. Wow. I can't believe it took us this long to talk about him. Yeah, well, <laughs> have you seen this movie? I understand why it took us so long <laughs> to talk about this. Aura and Flash arrive on the forest moon Arborea. The forest moon Arborea. Aura asks Prince Baron to Now keep... that is before Jedi. Oh, yeah. Properly. Aura asks Prince Baron to keep Flash safe. But Baron is like, I don't trust you. Because you're a bit of a space hoe. Yeah. But he's in love with her, so he agrees not to kill Flash. It's nice. And I actually like how Flash even is on to her games, and he's like, does anyone ever trust her twice? <laughs> yeah. One of Baron's men is like, okay, so you can't kill him, but like, what if he just died on his own? Why are they even bothering to do this? I don't know. It's like he's challenging him to like a, a dick measuring contest or whatever it is. Yeah, he sends Fico? Fico? Doesn't matter. Won't last long. It's Richard O'Brien. Richard fucking O'Brien. Does he get a fucking? I mean, have you seen Rocky Horror? Fair enough. He tricks Flash into entering a sacred tree of some sort where he's forced to partake (laughs) in a deadly wood beast ritual. Yes. This is weird. Baird and Flash take turns sticking their hands into a hollow stump with a poisonous creature inside. Nothing sexy about this. This, Nope. This this is is not innuendo. This is a proper tree stump that they're reaching their hands into. Yep. It's got lots of holes in it, and and you have to pick a hole and just hope you don't get stung by this scorpion-like creature inside. Exactly. Baron makes Flash go twice at one point because- the rules don't matter. Because I just made new rules. And Flash pretends to be stung, and he begs for a quick death because apparently it drives you mad. It's a terrible death, and people usually are like, no, take me now. But it's a fake out. And he takes Baron's sword, and he escapes and throws the sword away instead of keeping it, like a weirdo. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. He's like, all right, I got your sword. Now I'm going to leave and throw away your sword. Right? (laughs) Baron follows him, but they're both captured by Prince Valton's hawkmen. These hawkmen. Yeah. They don't wear a lot of clothes. They wear wings and and loincloths. That's it. Basically. That's it. And giant beards. They have such glorious beards. Yes. Apparently, this costume was a nightmare for them. They could not sit down yeah. because the wings were too damn big and didn't move. Yeah. So apparently during the breaks in filming while they're resetting and stuff like that, for them to take a break, you just see these Hawkmen lying on their bellies. I'm just <laughs> lying on the ground. I love it. Sounds like a nightmare. It sounds awful. Yeah. They couldn't just take the wings off during breaks? No, you can't do that. It messed with continuity. Right. Because if you put them back on, they're going to be 
if they're askew. Because you can tell that this movie cares a lot about continuity. It might. <laughs> it might not also. We'll get there. Back in Mingo City, which apparently is the name of the city in on Mongo that Ming is presiding over. <laughs> it's Ming on Mongo in Mingo City. Of course. It's very it confusing. It all checks out. Clytus informs Ming that Flash is still alive and he gains Ming's authority to discover the person responsible. It's Aura. It is Aura. He knows it's Aura. He knows it's Aura. So when Aura returns, she's immediately taken prisoner and then tortured by Clytus and General Kala, played by Mary Angela Mulatto. Who cares? Fine. And uh, she's the head of Ming's secret police. And she's in this movie later, a little bit. Sure, briefly. They force Aura to confess to helping Flash escape, and Ming orders her to be banished to the ice moon Phrygia. The ice moon, huh? After his wedding. Kind of sounds like a Hoth thing. Kind of sounds Hothy. Yeah? Yeah. It's got Hoth vibes. It does. That is a Daniel Steele novel that I didn't ever think would be a thing. <laughs> the Hoan Hoth. I'd read it. I'd be curious, really. Honestly, I, yeah. yeah. I wonder where that goes. Never read one of her books before, but you brought Star Wars into the mix. <laughs> Sometimes that's all it takes. That's it. The hook. It's important to note, after his wedding, there's a <laughs> wedding being planned. There sure is. Sorry. I got distracted with my own stupid brain. Yeah, that's fair. Thinking about her lines of, it's warmer on the inside. Yeah. A hoth thing. That's- um, And that is, that's wrong, and I apologize. That's actually- Clever. I don't know if it is. Enough for me after watching this movie. <laughs> this dumbed you down just to the right spot. <laughs> the right spot. Warmer on the inside. That's right. I don't like where this is going. I don't either. Meanwhile, Flash and Baron are taken to Sky City, where Flash and Dale are briefly reunited. Briefly. Very briefly. Very briefly. Because Flash is forced to fight Baron to death on the wobbly spiked wafer of doom. That's it's not actually much what it's called. What but, it is though. But it is what it is. It's this disc that's just in the middle of this void yeah. that they have to walk out onto and then fight each other with whips to the death, which is weird. Yeah, sometimes you got to whip Timothy Dalton a little bit and and he's going to whip this other guy, the blonde guy, he's Sam gonna, Jones he's slash whip Gordon. you too. And it's weird. It's very strange. And it lasts for fur. Ever. It takes a very long time. Apparently, they spray painted this platform silver, and between takes, they had to keep cleaning themselves off because they were getting silver paint all over themselves. Right. <laughs> it was that type of production. Yeah. It's, oh, man, we got to make this thing silver again before we before <laughs> right. we go back to... <laughs> Quick. Flash. Oh, the set looks good at a distance. Flash. Oh, <laughs> we never expected high definition. <laughs> Eventually, Flash wins the battle when Baron nearly falls over the edge, but Flash helps him back onto the platform because he's a good guy, I guess, and Baron joined forces with him. Right, and they're like holding on to like these spikes that come out of the ground yeah. and stuff. and sometimes the spikes go away, and you're like, yeah. oh, that one's staying along pretty conveniently. <laughs> the one that just, broke? Just hanging out. <laughs> oh, this movie. I love it. Yeah, but Baron's like, oh, I'm, I'm so grateful for you for saving my life. I will follow you anywhere. All of a sudden. Yeah, just immediately. Like, he pretty much is, he's like a Tyler Durden when you think about it. He's like, I don't like you. You're too fucking blonde. blonde. And now all of a sudden he's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll, I'll ride with you. The Cliffs of Avalon. Nice. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Clytus arrives and he threatens Valton as well as everybody else for their insolence. He's pretty outnumbered, though. 
He's very like, outnumbered, but they're outnumbered? still like really afraid of him. Yeah. He's a sex symbol under there. That's true. They know. They know. Like, once he takes that mask off, we'll all it's be over. We'll be too horny to fight him. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's how space operates on a horniness level. That's where the movie Perfume got its inspiration from. Oh. You ever see that? I've never seen that. The reference won't land then. Uh, nope. But the people who have love it. Flash and Baron team up and overpower Clytus and kill him. It kind of melts. Like throw him onto the spikes. Yep. The spiky disc. The spiky disc, which once again has spikes on it. And the funny thing about this whole scene, Peter Weingard, yeah. before they did the death scene, pled with the director and Dino De Laurentiis said, now, you know, you don't have to kill me on this. You can send <laughs> me like another planet because he saw like a franchise coming out of this. Right. You're like, you don't have to, you don't have to do it. I'm Peter fucking Weingard. You don't have to kill me on this. To which Dino De Laurentiis said, you need to fucking die. <laughs> and Peter Weingard even said like, no, they let me have it. Tell me I really need to die in this. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> But it's just interesting how mid-production you have an actor pleading for his character's life. Yeah, that's funny because I read something somewhere. They said Mike Hodges, the director on this, which we we somehow have neglected to reference. Because he barely directed it, yeah. from what I understand. Famous director Mike Hodges, because of all the production problems that plagued the film, once called it the only improvised $27 million movie ever made. Which is wild to think about. That's insane. This thing was getting made on the fly. Like every time they started a scene, they're like, well, let's see where this one ends. Yeah. <laughs> That's absolutely incredible. This thing lands the way it does. It has no business working. Absolutely none. And it, it barely does. But it barely does. But the weird part is, is that you have Mike Hodges, who pretty much is just kind of setting up the scenes and saying, go. Yeah. Dino De Laurentiis is kind of the one behind everything. He Which says he wants wild. this campiness to it. That's where his head is really at. Right. But he also says. You have to play this straight. You have to for all these characters. He says, the straighter you play it, the funnier it's going to be. Exactly. And he was right. Uh-huh. That's crazy. The man knows what he's doing. Yeah. He also brought in Lorenzo Semple Jr. for the camp factor. Well, it makes sense. He wrote Batman 66. Exactly. Smart move. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. Somehow, through all of this, decisions were made and they were the right ones. It's kind of like a producer's thing. Where it's like, we had the the worst script, we had the worst set, we had the worst director. Yeah. Where do we go right? And the answer <laughs> is everywhere. Somehow. Everywhere it all worked. It's wild. It really is. So now that Clytus is dead, the Hawkmen and Voltan know that, okay, Ming's coming. Because this will not stand. No, of course not. So they evacuate Sky City, leaving Baron Flash, Dale, and Zarkov behind. Right. They pretty much said... Essential actors only. <laughs> Everyone else has to go. I would say Brian Blessed is essential. He's amazing. I love him so much. You've never seen Black Adder. I haven't. I need to introduce you to more British things. I'm for it. Next month, we'll talk. In January, we'll talk. Okay. <laughs> Ming's ship arrives shortly afterwards, and he orders Baron, Zarkov, and Dale to be taken aboard. But not Flash. Not Flash. Oh. He finds himself impressed with Flash, and instead of killing him, offers him lordship over a subjugated earth in exchange for fealty. Tempting. Naturally, Flash refuses. He's like, I can't even lead the New York Jets to the playoffs. You want me to lead an entire planet? <laughs> it's funny because it's 1980 and they hadn't been in the playoffs for 10 years. At that point, which is wild because they, I mean, I don't think they've been in the playoffs 10 years again now that we sit here. I can't remember the last time. I can't either. It's just such a weird thing to hear, though, when you have like, oh, you can rule this entire planet or whatever it is. It's like, it made me think of like the fifth element. How you have the president of the planet, planet yeah. Earth. And then I got real sad because that's Tiny Lister. 
Oh. And we just lost him this we week. We did just lose Tiny Lister. So to celebrate Tiny Lister's life, for as little as $1 a month, you could subscribe to our Patreon and go listen to our episode on the fifth element. Yeah. Do it for Tiny. Do it for Tiny. Do it for us. But in this case, do it for Tiny. Yeah. Mostly Tiny. A little bit us. Ming returns to his ship, and he gives the order to destroy Valton's kingdom with Flash still there. Lucky for Flash, because convenience, man. Oh, yeah. He finds a rocket cycle. He does. And this is kind of the iconic shot of the movie. Yeah. And he, he gets on this space jet ski and he pieces out of Sky City. This is the dumbest looking thing I've ever seen. It's ridiculous. Because it just looks like a jet ski, as you said, that yeah. he's standing on. But then it has like a back bar as like a support thing. And it looks like one of those shitty exercise machines that just has like the band that just vibrates. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh. I'm getting my spine in alignment, or however I got ripped off. I don't know. <laughs> it's real bad design. Whatever works. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a discount treadmill. Does that, it that now he's, he's flying. Were the bars on the wrong side? Yeah. <laughs> in Mother Russia, treadmill runs you. That's true. That's how it works. That's it. Sky City blows up around him as he escapes. Sure. And he contacts Volton, whose people have found refuge on Arborea. Right. Because we only have three places in this movie. Right? We're, we never go to that ice planet. And together they plot an attack on Mingo City. Flash takes the rocket cycle and pretends to attack Mingo City, which draws General Kala to dispatch a war rocket, which is a thing. It's a thing. They've got a war rocket. They do. And she's like, go get him. Bring his body back. But he goes through a cloud. Sure does. And they're like, that's how you get away from everyone. Should we follow him? Through <laughs> this cloud. Through the cloud? And they're like, no, wait for him. Meanwhile, on the other side of the cloud, he has the entire Hawkman army. It's a giant army of Hawkmen. And I like how these guys, who, as they're attacking, they're like, attack the damn cloud. And they electrocute the cloud. They're like, all right, now let's go get him. Like, what did that just do? He's try- trying to get you out of the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear Mike Hodges directing this going, we need to build, uh, what is that called? Suspenders? Tungsten! Ten- tension! That's it. Oh, yes. I That's was going to say suspense. <laughs> Tungsten. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, they go through the giant red cloud and come out the other side, and then they're immediately faced with... All the Hawkmen. All the Hawkmen. It made me laugh, though, because it's one of those things like, this movie's long enough, because this movie is 111 minutes long. Yeah. Almost two hours. It's episode 111. How, how appropriate. That is appropriate. Oh, what are we doing here? Building tension where there's no tension needing to be built. It's unnecessary. But then we get a huge battle between the Hawkmen sure do. and the, the battle rocket or war rocket or whatever we called it. And we have an awesome soundtrack playing during this battle. We really, really do. Queen crushed it. Queen crushed it. I wish whoever did the sound mixing crushed it as much. Oh, they took the day off. They, they took the just, movie off. Really. They were like, the song's over? Okay, cool. Just immediately go to silence. <laughs> Like abruptly, Wait for the next track to start. As abrupt as possible. End the song. They did. Yeah. Good. They listened. Just in time for <laughs> Flash to get his line out. And they're like, all right, play again. Full volume. <laughs> <laughs> in Mingo City, Princess Aura tries to convince Dale to poison Ming after they have an entirely unnecessary cat fight. Sure. Though I will say, it's a fun fight. Fun fight. It's, it's, it's entertaining. It's a fun fight because it's fought on a giant bed. Yeah. It can't be stressed enough how large this bed is. It's a huge bed. It takes up a whole room. 
I like to imagine that Howard Langston from Jingle All the Way sold him all these mattresses on Christmas Eve or whatever. Oh, I love that idea. Because he had to sell those 400 mattresses to somebody. <laughs> somebody. And it's got to be Emperor Ming, probably. That makes sense. Because who needs that many mattresses? Honestly. Honestly. <laughs> who throws a shoe? Speaking of, they wanted Arnold for the role. They did want Arnold for the role. And it didn't work out, but Dean De Laurentiis did get his Arnold wish two years later with Conan the Barbarian. Oh, that's right. Also talked to Kurt Russell about it. They didn't. He said, ah, this character's pretty damn one-dimensional. Yeah. He was like, this Flash guy doesn't have a whole lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? Character. <laughs> Not wrong. He's uh, He doesn't do a lot, and maybe it's because reasons. We'll get there. I'm like saving that. I yeah, because I like it's a punchline when you think about it. It really is. Dale refuses to poison Ming because for some reason she made a promise and she's like, I keep my promises. What is the what she's promise? Like, I'm gonna marry him and be a good wife so he doesn't hurt Baron and Zarkov. Right, but also don't marry me. But also I don't want to get married to this him. This actually made me question like all the damsel in distress who ever got forced to like marry anyone, like Princess Buttercup. It's like you're making a vow to just a man in a, a costume for <laughs> a priest. That's what they're called. <laughs> then, uh, I thought you were talking about Ming. <laughs> no. But then, you're like, you don't have to listen to it. You're still your own person. Just because you do this doesn't make you a different person. That's true. I never understood the damsel in distress who was getting forced to marry. It never made sense to me. I mean, maybe it's because all the paperwork involved. That's possible. You know, it's she, really hard to break up because you do need a lawyer. Yeah, when she finds true love, she's going to have to be like, all right, well, first of all, I am married previously to a villain, so ooh, this ooh, could be an ooh, issue. Deal breaker, maybe. Yeah. It was against my will. It was a very damsel situation. Okay. Um, <laughs> my finger's not totally swiping. Which is the good one, left or right? Which is the like? Right. I've been married for a while. It's right. Is the good one? Yeah. Okay. So I like to imagine they're like whole, hovering left with it right now. Yeah, they're like, okay, like we we've been separated for a while because I'm still my own person. But if we want to proceed with this relationship, I have to divorce this villain. But you have to figure with Dale. They're like, well, I can't even say that you have baggage because you were forced onto this rocket ship that took you here. So yes, you clearly didn't bring anything. She literally doesn't. Oh, have not that baggage. type of baggage. Got it. <laughs> that jet's bag. It's still sitting on the runway. Told you the plane's going down. Second, that bag got on board. So Aura instead, because Dale's like, now, she overpowers her guard and she frees Baron and Zarkov herself from the execution chamber. Meanwhile, Flash and the Hawkmen are descending upon Mingo City in the war rocket that they have successfully captured. They are. And this might be the most in-depth thing I've ever tracked. Okay. The clock. Oh, it seemed fucky to me. Why? I don't know. It just seemed like it took a long time to count down. So here's the thing about the clock. The clock that we see on board that Flash just happens to punch and he's like, oh, this is how much time is left until Earth is dead yeah. from the moon crashing into it. Does he enter a number of seconds? He enters three minutes, eight seconds. Interesting. And that is at movie marker, one hour, 37 minutes, 37 seconds. Okay. More shit happens. More fighting is happening. The next time we see the clock is at one hour, 42 minutes, 47 seconds. So that is five minutes later. There is one minute, 46 seconds left on this clock. So only a minute and a half has passed in this five minute stretch of time. Okay. As Flash is flying this whatever yeah. at Mingo City. Take over for a second. I'll dive back in. All right, good. I'm glad we're tracking this. 
He's in slow motion, it seems. Maybe. Or this movie doesn't give a shit about itself. That was the impression I got. Which is a lot more likely. <laughs> Kala sees him coming, and she activates the city's defenses as Ming and Dale's wedding begins. Correct. Mingo City's lightning shield can only be penetrated in time to save Earth by flying the war rocket directly into it in what's basically a suicide run. Right, and 30 seconds now passed on screen, and we're at 1 hour, 43 minutes, 3 seconds, but only 10 seconds has gone off of this timer. Yeah, that's... Once again, which is the most realistic that they've done, which is good on them. They got real close that time. Flash volunteers to stay at the helm to ensure that it successfully passes through and gets the Hawkmen in to invade the city. Right! And at this point, one hour, 43 minutes, 28 seconds, there's now 45 seconds left. So a little over a minute has passed, but only 25 seconds has passed on real time in the real world. So it's like they tried to catch up to themselves fucking up. Wow. Which was weird. That is, oh no. (laughs) Just before the rocket hits, Baron kills Kala and shuts down the lightning field generators. Right, Which and is, at this point, oh, we're at 1 hour, 44 minutes, 45 seconds. 17 seconds are left on this clock as the lightning goes away. So we've gone down now 30 seconds, and we've done it in the span of a minute and a half. All right. Have you ever heard of the, the theory of relativity? Uh, maybe it's different on Mongo. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe, maybe. Maybe time is just slower on Mongo. <laughs> it's about to get worse. Don't worry. Zarkov never specified that it was Earth seconds. Oh, don't even. (laughs) (laughs) Don't. (laughs) Flash plummets the war rocket into the city's great hall where the wedding is taking place. He sure does. Flash plummets the war rocket into the city's great hall where the wedding is taking place, and the ship's bow impales Ming. Yeah, he drove a ship into the man. How cool is that? I mean, if there's a way to kill a guy... That's it. ...using his own war rocket to impale him is pretty badass. From, like, a distance, too. Oh, yeah. And he's indoors, so you're just like, ugh. Got him. I got him. Ming falls off the front of the rocket bow, the the stick that has impaled him. Sure. And Flash is like, I'll spare your life, which is a silly thing to be offering at this moment. Yeah, he's very mean and bad, and you've openly been getting these armies together to kill this man. Yeah, he's also very much dying already. Yes, he is. But he says he'll spare his life if he'll stop the attack on Earth. But Ming refuses to submit, and instead, he goes to use the power ring on Flash Nothing happens because he's just, he's getting weaker and weaker after, you know, being impaled. Of course. He aims the ring at himself and is vaporized by its remaining power. One second is left on this clock. (laughs) At this point, it took 50 seconds to go down 16 seconds. Yeah. And now that there's one second left on this clock, Ming is now vaporized. Right. That clock presumably goes to zero. I would imagine (laughs) that the clock goes to zero. We never saw any clock stop or... We never saw the Earth saved. Right. We have to assume within this movie that the moon has now collided with the Earth. Yeah. My question always was, like, he's telling him to spare the Earth, and then Ming kills himself. Presumably, nobody stopped this thing from happening. What? I don't know. But it would appear that Earth is, like, super dead at this point. I would assume Gonzo. Completely Gonzo. Yeah. But instead, they start a huge victory celebration. As you do? I guess. They assume that Earth was saved just because Ming died. Yeah. And, which is uh, a bold choice, Cotton. Yeah. They, they're like, all right, Baron, you're the new ruler of Mongo. Cool. So that's fun. And Vulton, he's the new general of all of Mongo's armies. <laughs> 
That's pretty good. I love Brian Blessed so much. So now Mungo's population can live in peace because everybody gets along. Sure. Aura chooses to marry Baron and, and stand alongside him. Good. Fine. So she's she's going to settle down. Finally, now that she's queen, technically. Yeah. She really backdoored her way into queendom. It seems like she was really just lighting herself up. Like, no matter who became the next <laughs> king, she was like, oh, I've been sleeping with him the whole time. The whole time. <laughs> Flash, Dale, and Zarkov are asked to stay on Mongo. And it seems like Flash wants to stay, because he even asked Dale, he's like, hey, sweetheart, you want to stick around? And she's like, I'm a New York City gal. I'm a New York City gal. Yeah, but- This place is it's too quiet for me. After all the space war, get it? I got it. It's it's Do you get it? It's too it's too quiet compared <laughs> to New York because New York's so loud. It's so loud. That space war, not as loud. Not as loud. Yeah. As New York. It's the, the, the planet that just sleeps so much. It's the sleepiest city. And that's as why I always call it. That's why she's gotta get back to New York. But because Ming died, apparently the vortex to Earth has been severed. So they agree to stay for a while while Zarkov tries to figure out how to get the three of them back to Earth. And I'm still not convinced that Earth is nope, there. <laughs> still not convinced. I love after they decide to stay here, you get the Hawkman flying away. They're like, oh, oh bye. God. Goodbye for forever, I guess, or until the next one, maybe. And as they fly away, the Hawkman pretty much blue angels this thing and spell out thanks. And then they reconvene and spell out flash. Yeah. Yeah. They, they sky marching band him. Yeah. And I pretty much stood up in my living room and just started applauding. Really? Like, this is. Uh, what a lovely touch to the end of this masterpiece. <laughs> no, you're right. It was it was appropriate to the movie. It was perfect. I was embarrassed for everybody in the movie. <laughs> yes, but it's one of those things that, like, this movie knows what it is so well yeah, that's that it true. pulls it off perfectly. <laughs> I got to spot my heart for these types of things. Yeah. Ming's empty power ring lies on the floor of the Great Hall. An unidentified individual picks it up. The words, the end, fade onto the screen. Followed by a question mark. I love it so and an much. Echo of Ming's evil laughter. How great is that ending? It is, again, super appropriate it's to this perfect, movie. Perfect. <laughs> and this movie is damn near perfect. This movie is so much fun. That is Flash Gordon from 1980, directed by who the hell knows? Famous really director when it comes Mike down Hodges. To it. I unabashedly love this movie. Yes. I can tell that there is no bashedness no. behind it. This is such a good movie. It's such a fun watch. It reminded me of Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah. It reminded me of Toxic Avenger, yeah. where these things just know what they are. It definitely is self-aware enough that it's like, yeah, this is going to be campy as hell, but you're going to love it. You're going to absolutely love it. It's kind of like The Punisher. It knew exactly what it was supposed to be and what yes. it was trying to go for. Yes. And for that reason, it works through and through. Absolutely. We still have a lot to talk about with this movie. We do. So I'm going to quickly go through this and ask you about Rotten Tomatoes 1 to 100. Okay. Where do you think it's going to land? 30. Yeah, 83. What? This movie is beloved, to put it really, really lightly. This is one of those staple sci-fi movies that is full of camp that has influenced so many different things that have come afterward. Yeah, but that's so high. Yeah, people love this movie. But- People do, but the critics... That's the critics. I, the critics are 83 on this. That's what's blowing my mind. Yeah, audience, If you had said the audience score was that high, I'd be like, Audience yeah. is 69. That makes more sense. Nice. Nice indeed. That's appropriate for this movie. It is, but Roger Ebert saw this thing, and he gave it three out of four stars. Oh my God. Which is appropriate for him to do. He says, and I slice this up a little bit just because he does the whole plot thing again, like he likes to do. Yep. He says... 
If memory serves, this is more or less the same beginning as in the original movie serialization of Flash Gordon back in 1936. Even if it's not, I like how he gives himself the outright there. Right. <laughs> Even if it's not, this new Dino De Laurentiis production is true to tacky pop origins of the Flash Gordon comic strip and the serial starring Buster Crab. At a time when Star Wars and its spinoffs have inspired special effects men to bust a gut making their interplanetary adventures look real, Flash Gordon is cheerfully willing to look as phony as it is. <laughs> That's a man who gets it. Yeah. He goes on to say, I don't mean that as a criticism. You can make a city float in the clouds and look marginally realistic, as in The Empire Strikes Back. Huh? But there's something sort of fun about the Flash Gordon city that floats in the clouds and looks like a large miniature model floating in fake clouds. And as the spaceships lumber past on the screen, I really wouldn't have minded if they left a tube of model airplane glue lying in the lower left-hand corner. <laughs> this movie is super self-aware yeah. the entire way through. It is. And the critics were right there with it. They understood what this was going for. Yeah. And I think it lands. I really do think this thing lands. Oh, I do too. I enjoy the hell out of it. Amazon.com. It's got 4.7 out of 5. Apparently it's a bad stream. Okay. That's all of it. That is all the negatives that there are for it. Couldn't be that bad of a stream. That's where I watched it. Yeah, but they didn't like it apparently. All right. They thought the audio was out of sync. Not for me. In some dialogue from Sam Jones. <laughs> We'll get there. We will get there. We should get there pretty soon. <laughs> soon enough. How about we give this thing a super stuff score? Because I know we're like saving the big thing about this movie, the big reveal. Yeah. So let's just, uh, let's get there so we could stop lingering on it and finally get it out of the way. We are going to linger a little bit longer, actually. And now for another edition of the Caped Podcast's Theater. For this week's theater, theater, I I thought, what would happen? I should have done it like Brian Blessed would. Oh, that would have been good. And now for another edition of the K Podcasters Theater. <laughs> I love the jaw movements. I wish that was captured in the like, audio. Like I'm a puppet at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like the entire movie starts off because of a certain incident. And and I think we could have very easily avoided the entirety of this movie if it were for one thing. I forced a bot to watch 1,000 hours of New York Jets game. Oh, God, no. Even so a bad. Even a bot couldn't get through that. And then the butt fumbled. <laughs> uh, Keaton Patty, comedy writer, author of I Forced This Bot to Write a Book, AI Meets BS. Very good. Amazon.com. Go buy it. He forced a bot to watch 1,000 hours of airline safety videos. <laughs> And then ask it to write an airline safety video of its own. All right. Here's the first page. Maybe my Fight Club reference wasn't that out of left field then. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> I'll be doing the narration, and you'll be doing the part of the flight attendant. Airline safety video. Action. We see a flight attendant walking down the aisle. Welcome to the plane. This plane can't be trusted, but you can. To be alive, always wear your seatbelt. They hold up a belt that is not connected to a seat. Why? There are two exits on this plane. This one here. They point to their head. And this one there. They point nowhere. If you are seated in an exit row, you are now the pilot. We see an empty exit row. This plane will not take off. In case there is a disturbed cloud, oxygen masks will come for you. They show an oxygen mask. It is not made of oxygen. 
Why? <laughs> There's just enough masks for most people to have enough masks. Now, if the water is where the plane chooses to go, don't worry. Your seat can float far away from you. They smile. They're not worried. They aren't on your plane. <laughs> Young children must be turned off or placed in airplane mode. They hold up a child. They switch it into airplane mode. Yes. Flying is illegal, so don't tell. <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know. But I think <laughs> What does any of that mean? All of those tips would have been very helpful for, for Flash and Dale's <gasps> initial flight. Right. They were You're seated, not wrong. They were seated in the exit row, and they did become the pilots. So, And they did make themselves doomed by having a New York Jets duffel bag. Also, that should be rule one. It should Air be. Air safety. Right? Don't bring a Jets bag. No, you're going to die. Now we can give this thing a super stuff score. Perfect. Story motivation. I absolutely love it. You got a, uh, a New York Jets quarterback who goes into space against his will, and then has to save the day. He makes the, the best of a crappy situation for love. Oh, don't you? I was willing to. I was I was agreeing with you until you said for love because this is a girl he met on the plane ride, right? And he also does have that direct quote of how she's like, "Oh, how are we ever going to tell people about this?" He's like, "Oh, save it. We'll tell our kids." And then she's like, "Oh, we're engaged." Yep, and that's a problem. Yep, that was like what uh, hour four of their of their shared trauma ship. Say so. Uh, yeah, like I said, point seven five. Yeah, sure. I heard me. Sure, loud and clear. Hero. Flash. Ah. <laughs> that was so dissonant. He's a uh, character. He, uh, he's the titular character. He's a blonde man whose name is on the movie. Should we talk about Flash Gordon? I think we need to I talk about Flash Gordon. I think it's appropriate Gordon. to talk about Flash Gordon and Sam Jones right now. Yeah. You might think that he's not a very imposing character. He's a big guy. He's blonde. He's very athletic. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. You might say, oh, but he sounds like a wiener. <laughs> And you might be right. He does kind of sound like a wiener. So what happened is everyone on set will overly attest to this. <laughs> Sam Jones is a bit of a prima donna. Yeah. When he got onto this movie. This yeah. was his first major role. He had done the movie 10 with Bo Derek before that. And that's kind of where he got noticed. And then obviously the dating game thing, whatever. He gets onto this and he is very big for his bridges. That checks out. They were filming this movie. They got really far into production. They broke for a Christmas break. He came back to America because they were filming in London. And then he never came back. He never came back. He was acting on the thoughts of his representatives, his managers, saying, hey, you got to hold out for more money. You're Flash Gordon. They need you for this. And they're talking about sequels. And Dino De Laurentiis called his bluff and said, he did. hey, get me a body double. And also, get me someone to impersonate Sam Jones' voice because he done. Amazing. So Sam Jones barely has any dialogue in this movie. It's almost entirely dubbed by another guy. Phenomenal. And it led to a lot of Amazon one-star reviews, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess he kept getting in fights on the on set. Offset. In uh, and because he got into a fight right before production happened at a bar. And he ended up getting this giant gash on, on his, his face, head, yeah. To which Dino De Laurentiis ended up going to the surgeon saying, you better do a good fucking job. This is my flash. <laughs> yeah. He was trouble. I love that he, he's like, well, keep going, but with the very best stand-in you can find. That's a direct quote. Yes, it is. So they managed to make this movie without their lead, which is insane. 
it almost makes it better. It almost makes it better. <laughs> I agree. And the thing is, like Sam Jones, I don't want him to sound like he's a piece of garbage because he's come around to like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, I've made mistakes. I listen to the wrong people, and it's a lot like George Lazenby did with the James Bond franchise. How he was in on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is a phenomenal James Bond movie, mm-hmm. and he got way too big for himself as well yeah. to the point that he wouldn't sign on for additional movies because he thought he was too hot of shit and the broccoli's called his bluff and said all right bring back sean connery and that is pretty much the ultimate nail in the coffin oh yeah where sean connery's willing to come back to do one more and you go that fucked up all oh, right whoops <laughs> well, shouldn't have done that and he's now leaned into saying like no i went to i wanted to be a family man i was not being james bond i was bonding with my family that's his joke that he has and i have to imagine Ugh. that if that's what you got to tell yourself. After all this time, that's the best joke you can write? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not great, but it's like a similar situation, though. Yeah. Yeah. Sam Jones has come around and realized he fucked up. Granted, he is in this movie mostly. <laughs> Hero in this movie, though, he does save the day. He, and he does. He does. And crash he... a spaceship into the villain. And he unites these different factions underneath this dictator and right. like, convinces them to overthrow him. Absolutely. So I'm going to go 0.75. I'm going to give him the That's... character most of the credit. Okay. And I will take away points because it's noticeable. It that is. The dialogue does not line up sometimes. Yeah. 0.75. Villains. Ming the Merciless. He is merciless. He he's... looks amazing. He sounds amazing. And realistically, he's killing Earth because he's bored. That's true. That's it. And he plays with it first. That's it. Just, just, all right. He's like Sid from Toy Story. He's got a hot That's all it button, is. So. Yeah. I'm going to go 0.5. He does put him in some easily escapable situations. That's true. He doesn't seem to want to kill the character as much as he wants to kill the Earth eventually. I agree with that. So, I think there's, there's something about being removed from it, though. Yeah, but you there's know? also something about having the patience to wait for the moon to crash into Earth. Especially when you're not really sure how many seconds it will take. Right. Like I said, point. Uh, what did I say? Point seven five. I think you said point five. I'm gonna go point seven five. I think point five. I like him. Yeah. yeah like I said, point seven five. Point He's five. crashing yeah, the moon. Point five for sure. Into Earth. Yeah, but I'm curious. For fun. I'm curious if he's not a racist caricature. Okay, like I said, point five. <laughs> but he's not. He looks like he should be. He's. But he's an alien, not right. And he's Max Van Sydow, and he's just talking British. That's it. Point five. That's fine. Point five. Parents? We know nothing. Zero. Zero. Female characters. Oh, dear. Let's start off with Dale. Okay. Who <laughs> does not want to be, I don't know what, with Ming. She she definitely doesn't want to be in the sky, in the airplane. And then with Ming. Uh, she's in a lot of situations she doesn't want to be in this movie. Most of the situations she's in? Yeah. And she's really just a cheerleader. And that's by her own design because she says, to the director, Mike Hodge, she's like, I'm the all-American girl. I should be a cheerleader if this guy's a football player. And he went, fucking fine, whatever. I mean, I'm not changing the script. Fine. But <laughs> do whatever you want. I'm going to go a solid zero because Princess Aura is a thing in this movie. Princess Aura is just, oh, my God. Yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. Like, like she makes Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns look wholesome. <laughs> That's a problem. Zero. Solid zero. Zero. I'm debating going lower. Type it in before I do. I have typed in zero, but I agree that it could go lower. So we will leave it at zero. 
and move on. I'm okay with that because I like this movie. Setting. Mongo's not a real place, but damn it, I felt it. You know, <laughs> it felt like I could stumble upon it in some back lot somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to go one. Um, you, you know get what? get the different worlds because you do get Earth and it's very closed in and boring. You do get Mongo, yeah. which is very open and colorful and it looks I insane. mean, except for like the, the weird stalactite. Sure. Besides that. Cratery. You get the weird tree moon thing and it looks great. Yeah. And then you get the Hawkman room. Sky, the city, sky City. Sky City. Thing, city and... and it looks great. I'm going to go one. We'll go it one. It looks amazing. I, I, I agree with you. I, I think they did a really good job with set design. Style and tone. I'm going to start at two. And I'm debating going to three. You better not even think about going to three. Why? Because that's absolutely asinine. But I really like this movie. I know you do. And I think a two is extremely generous. Do you? I do. Why do you say that? The movie looks unbelievable. The movie looks good. You don't like Deep Roy? Famous for his portrayal as every Oompa Loompa in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I think he's great as, as Oompa Loompa. Princess Aura's pet. Yes, that's something, what he is in something the... <laughs> wrong about making a human a pet. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, he looks great. He's jumping around. He couldn't be happier. Things like a cocker spaniel. Jesus, that that sounds so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> something about comparing a man to a dog. I don't. <laughs> yeah. He's a pet. I think this movie does look very good, and it's very aware of what it is. But there are also a lot of inconsistencies. It's part of the charm. Oh, are we calling inconsistent a tone now? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? I will I will grant you a 1-5. Done. And that is extremely generous. I was hoping for a 1. This is a win. Yeah, I figured as much. I knew when I said 3, you'd be like, wow, he really likes us enough that I'm going to skew this a little higher than I probably should. You're a son of a bitch. I know. You are. Next aware. time we do a Power Rangers movie, I'm going 4s across the board. Oh, dear. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be able to argue out of that. <laughs> Music. Qua fucking Ian. Frederick fucking Mercury. I'm going to go Easily one on this one five. Easily a one. I'm gonna go one five. Dun, 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 that actually dun, dun, is amazing. Dun, dun, is that you have this running baseline that adds so much. Flash. Yeah. One five. One five. Absolutely. One liners. There's not a whole lot there. The only one that I have, which is something I knew about from this movie before I even watched it, actually was Gordon's alive. That's nothing. It is the most quoted thing in Brian Blessed's entire career. You're kidding me. Nope. I love Brian Blessed. I'll go .25 for Brian Blessed. There you go. I can't believe I just had to fight you for a one-liner in this movie. I'm okay with it. Impact on the genre. Where do you want to start? I don't know. Obviously, this movie itself did not impact Star Wars. It did not. No. Because the franchise impacted Star Wars, but the franchise existed long before Star Wars even existed came to be right but what has it done since and the answer is probably quite a bit but star wars did a hell of a lot more then again what genre are you talking about i'm talking we should talk superhero we should talk comic book yeah that's what it should be yeah and in that case i'm gonna argue for a one because flash gordon is kind of the grandfather of the superhero when he did come out in the 30s and he is the reason why we have all the caped folks sure. that are fighting the baddies. That's the comic book, though. Yeah, real hard to make this argument, isn't it? <laughs> Going off of that. <laughs> I mean, I watched the documentary that came out last year, oh, Life After Flash. 
I actually and I, it, I want to watch it that. It does have folks like Alex Ross, and it does have yeah. folks like Robert Rodriguez in there talking about how this film is just so crazy and unique and amazing that I do think it's influenced the superhero genre. It absolutely has. In I mean, a massive, massive way. Alex Ross actually calls it his favorite film of all time. Alex Ross is kind of like the end-all, be-all of comic book artists. So he's, he's really good. He's extremely he good. He did the cover for the 2007 Savior of the Universe edition of the DVD release. He also did a print five years ago for the 35th anniversary that wow. was going on his website for like $1,200. Yeah, that checks out because everything <laughs> on his website is insanely it insanely is because it's insanely good. Yeah, that's why oh, he's he's very good. Uh, another person who lists this as one of their favorite movies, Edgar Wright. I'm pretty sure Kevin Smith as well. Interesting. Yeah, weird, huh? How all this is working out. Edgar Wright's an interesting segue, and we'll get there. We will get there. I'm gonna go one for I, impact. I think. I think it has a full impact. Take that for what you will. <laughs> Honestly, I can see the success of this movie, mild as it may be during its initial release, but then becoming a cult movie, having a lot to do with how things like Batman came to be. Absolutely. So, so yeah, I'll I'll give this a one. Okay. Which is going to give this a way too high super score, stuff score. If it's under 10, it's too low. 7.25. Yeah, nailed it. Perfect. It's so high. I love it. It's so high. <laughs> I absolutely love this movie. I would recommend this movie to just about anybody if you want to have anybody. a fun night just watching something. Yeah. I mean, I recommended Buckaroo Banzai to some people. That's true. And they came back and said, like, oh, that was really good. It's like, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And everybody's having fun except for one guy, but you can't even hear his voice. No, so. you can't. <laughs> Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon. It's so damn good. Who knew? We're done with 2020, man. That's it. We That's did it. it. We, we... we are escaping this hell of a year. Finally. On a, a, a high note. And that makes me really happy. Yeah. As we did with January last year, this year, we're still in this year. Yeah. We did our not-so-super-stuffs movies in January. That's how it got introduced. What are we doing this January? Because, spoiler alert, everything's pre-recorded. Yeah, we, <laughs> we're what? taking the month off. It's really hard putting out an episode every single week consistently, and we need a break. Yeah. So we're going to do that. We are going to do But everything that. is already pre-recorded. But we you. did, yeah, we su- we're supplying content while we're away. We're going to start 2021 off the right way, which is a joke I will make in the next four weeks at some point. Over and over again. (laughs) Yes. Are we talking about some Edgar Wright movies? Speaking of Edgar Wright. We sure are. We're going to start with a Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy. Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World's End. And then we're going to end it with Baby Driver. It's a lot of fun. This was a a journey because obviously we've already recorded all those episodes. Yeah. And it's crazy talking about the same director for four straight movies and seeing the evolution and the changes yeah. and where his true passion lies. And he's a very cool director. Yeah. And it, it's fun to like pick out signature things of his too. It's like, There's a lot. You notice things. And you're like, oh, after watching four of his movies in a row, you're like, okay, yeah. Right. You know what to look for you too. You do. And that's why the old quote, good fences make good Edgar Wright movies. <laughs> I, I can't believe from. it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so we will start that off next week. For our first episode of January 2021 with Shaun of the Dead. Don't get red on you. Until then, be sure to like and follow us on all of our social media. Rate, review, subscribe on whatever podcast catcher you're using. We hope you enjoyed our, our special Christmas gift that we dropped to our subscribers here on the, on the main channel. Right? 
little surprise gift that wasn't a surprise. Wasn't a surprise. We, we told you about it for, you for, for weeks. two weeks <laughs> minimum. <laughs> if you didn't subscribe and you didn't get it, the only way you can get it now is to actually join Patreon for that's right a dollar or more, however generous you're feeling, and you can listen to our entire back catalog of exclusive, not so super stuff movies. Along with our other shows like The Pull List, which we have another episode gearing up to come out later this month of Vision to complete our two-part series preparing for WandaVision. And I will openly say that Tom King's Vision is one of my favorite comic book runs in the history of comic book runs. And damn it, I've read a few. So Yeah, you have. It's really good. I'm really excited for WandaVision, man. Me too. It's so close now, too. It is. So close. We also have Batman animation over there. We talk about Batman, the animated series, and we just put out actually uh, a bracket before for Christmas. We're doing the Blurt and Turnies over there now, so. We sure are. They're a lot of fun. Sign up, check it out. Send in some brackets. We'll do them. Absolutely. They're a lot of fun to do. If you have any questions or comments or anything, you can send them to katepodcasters at gmail.com, and we'll get to them in February. We sure will. <laughs> Can't wait. Take the time over the next month to really think about some some stuff you want to know. And, and send it to us. That's right. And speaking of questions, we got one from this movie. Oh. And it is from Ryan from the Experience Grind podcast. Oh, excellent. He wants to know, hypothetically. Oh, boy. They're making a new Flash Gordon movie. Which band or artist do you get to redo the theme song? Like a cover? I'm assuming yes. Oh, dear. Yeah, that's a dangerous question because Queen crushed it. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just reuse the Queen one? Okay, hypothetically, you have to pick a band to cover it. That's so hard. It's extremely hard. Because you either have to go something Queen-esque or something that's a complete departure from I it. I would have said, like, Michael Jackson or something like, Flash. He's singing every one of us. Jam on, Ming. Jam on. Wow, I don't know. You know what it would end up being, though? If we're being honest. Who do you think? It would probably be Fallout Boy. I thought about that, and I didn't say it out loud. Yeah. And I'm happy that it won't be, probably, even though I shouldn't say that. They're on the credits for Frozen 2. Really? Yeah. Doing like the big song, Into the Unknowns, the one that got the Oscar nomination. They do it better, actually, in the credits. Oh, okay. So, I don't know. Yeah. I also know that Brendan Urie of Panic at the Disco is doing a lot of Queen covers lately, so Ooh. that wouldn't surprise me. All right, but yeah, I think I think you would have to find. I think you have to find. Or is it a, Panic at the Disco that's doing the cover? Now that you mention it, it might be them. Well, it's possible. Uh, I don't mind watching Frozen Two again. I got a kid, means I'll probably watch <laughs> it three times in the next week anyway. So yeah, I still haven't seen it. It's good. So it's good. I might have to fire up the Disney Plus with this time off I have. There <laughs> you go. Fallout Boy. We did it. Yeah. That's it. Fallout Boy. They're going to do it. It's going to be great. You know who's going to hate that answer? <laughs> Ryan from Experience Ryan from Experience <laughs> You know what? Good. Good. Happy New Year, folks. Fingers crossed 2021 is going to be a hell of a lot better. Oh, I sure hope so. And I guess we're going to see you next week for Shaun of the Dead. Same pod time. Same pod. Woo! So, Brian. So, Dave. That is Flash Gordon. It is. What do you think happens post-credits? I think 
we cut back to Sky City or the wreckage thereof. Sure. And the we floating see just yeah, debris. Debris. But we see that that platform with the spikes on it and Clyde, General Clytus is laying there, but he's not quite dead. <laughs> okay. And what nobody noticed while all this commotion was happening, another spaceship arrived from Earth through the, the galactic portal, and it was driving through the wreckage of Sky City when another explosion happened. And it turns out that, that Clytus, when, when his body kind of vanished sure. from underneath the cloak, sure. he was teleporting. Oh, okay. Because that's the thing that he can do that nobody knew, but he can. And he ended up on this ship with these these four astronauts from Earth. And when the explosion happened, everybody got superpowers. And there was a stretchy one oh, and a fiery dear. one and a rocky one and, a, and an invisible one. <laughs> and then they went back to Earth. And, and Clytus was like, uh, I'm doomed. Doomed! <laughs> Dave, what do you think happens? Oh, man, I like that a lot. What I think happens is that Flash gets back to Earth. Oh. And he rejoins the, the modern day New York Jets because time passed because the times just di- that's what happens in space. <laughs> right. The times were just the, different. The now time is so weird. He comes down and he's just like, I'm back. I'm ready to be your quarterback again. And the Jets coachman comes up and he's like, oh, you got to drink this juice that I got from space. And he goes, what's your record? Oh, and what? And he goes, oh, that's not too good. All right. Uh, will this make me forget being a Jet? And he's like, No. <laughs> but it'll make you not mind. 